Hey team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera. This is the spot where we provide raw, unfiltered insights from some amazing guests. Stand by, you're about to be offended in all the right ways. All right, team, welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Andrew Markoff, CEO, founder, and head coach of Palace. And it's someone near and dear because I guess y'all aren't former Marines. You guys are always Marines, right? So a Marine here with me, even if a light, that was a life former. But man, good to have you on, brother. No, I'm psyched to be here. So I got Andrew on here. We actually were connected by uh, a dear friend of mine, one that I had served years ago in Afghanistan together and, and at a former unit. And he went on to go do some incredible things. And he said, you got to talk to Andrew. And after Andrew and I caught up, just you meet somebody just kindred spirit and somebody who just has a lot of the same values and things that they're doing. Specifically, can we do business and can we also sweat at the same time in the literal ways, which I think is something that will be a treat for our audience today. But let me give you a quick bio sheet on Andrew so you know who the heck I'm talking about. You can look him up for sure. Uh, but that way, I just kind of set the stage. And then, Andrew, we're just going to ju- jump right into it, man. Sweet. So Andrew here has got, um, in addition, now running Palace, which is we're going to dive into a Princeton guy is where he went to undergrad. Then he went into the Marine Corps after that. Started off as an infantry officer, so right there with a you know, a tip of the spear, so to speak, and then went into Marine Special Operations after that. And I think we should call them Marine Raiders, right? I think they've mm-hmm. had a couple name evolutions, but Raiders yeah. is kind of where they're at now. After that, kind of did his course there, service country, then went on to go do operations and strategy there for Palantir. After doing that for some time, got picked up as head of operations for a company called Origin Materials. Uh, and maybe we'll touch on that a little bit. That's a very unique, interesting company. Uh, you know, it's not one that I think I've even dove into very much. And so it just has a particular need. Kind of moonlighted and did some things in the background there as a mountain guide, which again, this is where I think our kindred spirits really relate. Uh, and I, what I mean by that is in the actual sense of, of you know, marching people around the mountains and being able to do that while also running business. And then went and formed himself to get to where he's at now with Palace. And so, did I miss anything cool, my friend? I'm sure you got a rap sheet for days we could go through. No, that's great. So, let's start at the beginning, man, or maybe let's say the somewhat beginning where, what got you to join the Marine Corps? There's obviously, especially coming out of Princeton, no offense. It's not what you think about when you go, a guy goes to an Ivy league school is probably not going to the military. And if you're going to the military, I think the Marine Corps in my mind would be the last place that a Princeton guy would get into <laughs> or even yeah. pursue. No, I so it, it's fine. I mean, I always start this and joke that like I, I joined to get paid to do all the things my parents wouldn't let me do in the backyard growing up. And, I kind of wish that was like less true than it probably actually is. But um, <laughs> I, I, I knew I wanted to do, to join the Marine Corps actually before I went to college. And I mean, to be honest, I actually wanted to go to the Naval Academy, but my parents were, they were like not opposed to me going into the Marine Corps, but I think they wanted me to like go to like a non-military school and kind of see if I still wanted to do it. Um, at the end of four years. So I, I ended up not applying to the academy, applied to Princeton, went there. And I mean, yeah, there's there weren't there are probably more people that went into the Marine Corps than you would think coming out of there. But yeah, there was definitely in the minority. Um, but I think, you know, at a, at the core, I felt like I wanted to prove something to myself that I could do something that was like physically hard. Um, and, you know, senior year of high school was September 11th. So I mean, I think there was... I felt like I needed to prove something to myself like that happened. There was like a need, there's a need for service. And I was like, okay, like I can serve and go do something hard so that I know that like I can do that. And that was something that was important to me. No, it, it the service at our generation was September 11th was such a catalyst for a lot of us. Even those of us that were like still going to serve, it meant a whole lot of a different story. It's amazing to think about our generation. I imagine talking to our grandkids one day and being able to just, War is not cool at all, and I think the warrior would be the first one to say that. But what's really interesting, though, is still thinking about how we got there. So it's always an interesting chapter, and it's one that I feel is kind of up there. I mean, the greatest generation I hear with the high, I hold with the highest regard, but it's still a pretty cool reason to get in. So you join the Marine Corps, you go infantry, which is really about as Marine Corps as it gets. Is that where you wanted to go? Is that is that the branch you wanted to be? I, in? I would think I would have been. Uh, I think I would have been devastated if I had not gotten infantry. I mean, I, I watched. I mean. I, 
I feel like bad for like every like everyone like I dated in college because they got forced to watch like Full Metal Jacket over and over <laughs> and over again. And I think that if I like told myself, oh, if I keep watching this, and like I get a you know I get like the stupid haircut and run around, like I'll have to I'll have to get it. And um, luckily, I think if you want infantry in the Marine Corps, like there are enough there there are plenty of slots for that. So I ended up getting it. But I, I think I would have been devastated if I hadn't. So talk to me then about you do infantry. And then you move into this thing with the Marine Raiders, MARSOC. And what I'm going to call it, I mean this in the highest regard, and I think, God, let me explain myself. I was going to say, you go into probably the, the most non-special operations of special operations. And again, the reason I mean, for folks who don't know that, that's actually a, if you're a Marine, that's actually a compliment because Marines are really intense about not making anybody other special than they are. It, everybody is a Marine. And so I know that even working with you know MARSOC in my former career, um, y'all always kind of didn't really even had a hard time saying you were Marsock. So I'm curious, what makes a guy go from infantry, Marine, then go straight into or decide to go into the Marsock world, especially where, you know, in some ways you might even be kind of, dis- you know, it kind of held at a distance from your core Marine Corps folks, yeah. if that makes sense. I, I mean, I think for me, when I like look at just generally like how I move through life, I mean, there's always a, okay, like if I can go through the infantry officer course, like that's going to be hard. And then I'm going to go see if I can do that. And I feel like special operations was always, always like the next step because it was like the next harder thing to like, and again, I feel like for a lot of my, at least the early part of my career, like a lot of this was proving to myself, that like, can I do this? Um, and I think, you know, by the time, I actually was able to take selection from MARSOC because, I mean, you can always like inter-service transfer and try and go like, maybe you're like, oh, like if I want to do special operations, I really want to be like in an organization that's like totally kind of detached from like the regular army, like maybe you go over there. But I, there were some things I feel like I appreciated about like the Marine Corps and like how it like looked at the world and kind of how it operated. One of them was actually that they prioritized working with other like foreign militaries and training them. I think like a lot of the same way, like that the Green Berets do. And, and in many ways, like in that respect, we're similar. And I thought that that's like, that was really interesting to me. And I think the Marine Corps takes, MARSOC takes some of the best parts of the regular Marine Corps and then uses them in a unique and special way. So I, mean, I think like the, the Marine Corps is very good at integrated planning across a bunch of different disciplines that you're that you don't necessarily specialize in, but you're expected as a as a Marine Corps officer to be familiar enough with everything functionally that happens in the Marine Corps that you can integrate, plan it, and lead it. And I think MARSOC does a really good job of integrating specialist capabilities, integrating everything. It takes that like generalist ethos of the Marine Corps and like expects you to use that there. And I think that that actually is something unique to the Marine Corps. I think it's something the Marine Corps does better than the other services. And I, I liked that aspect of MARSOC. So in ways, you, the Marine Corps culturally is very much like, okay, we'll, we'll let you do special things, but you're not allowed to not forget how that matters to the bigger picture and yeah. to everybody else that you're supporting doing that, right? Not allowed to just to go run off. I, I definitely. And I mean, and I mean, you know, MARSOC's obviously not, I mean, none of the units are perfect, but I think that there's like a discipline an expectation of like how you carry yourself that is while probably more similar to the rest of the Marine Corps than maybe everyone in MARSOC would like. I think it's one of the things that keeps people grounded that like at the end of the day, like this, you're here to serve. Um, this isn't about you and, and you're going to, you need to do what's best for the unit. And I think that like that, that culture, I mean, at times it was, it were, we were like, man, I wish there was like a little bit less of the regular Marine Corps, but like, I think overall that culture keeps people grounded in a way that's really useful. Can you tell me just to kind of paint a picture a little more about, you know, some of the unique things you've did there versus your time in the, in the conventional Marine Corps, so to speak, what, any, any fond memories or interesting things that you remember learning or deployments you were on when you were, when you were with the Raiders? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, probably the deployment I had the most fun on was the deployment to Afghanistan, where it was, you know, my team, we were embedded with um, a battalion of like Afghan commandos who were responsible for training them and then for, um, you know, going out on missions with them. But, you know, the long term goal was for them to be self-sustainable. And I mean, I think that was a really 
It was a really tough and difficult mission because I think for, for a long time, I think this is, this is kind of, I think like as a, Americans, we're often like very, very focused on like results, results, results. And we don't always have a good like long-term view on like, are the, is the manner in which we're getting these results sustainable? And for that, we were kind of, I was there in 2014 um, during actually the Afghan presidential elections where like they were really trying to, we were like, okay, hey, like we're on a timetable to where we are no longer going to be partnered with this unit. And like, it's time to make sure that you start employing them in a way that they're actually going to be able to sustain when we're not there. Like when we're, you know, they, when they don't have American air support, when they don't have X, Y, and Z. And so it was a, it was a, difficult problem because like we all went on deployment like we want to go out and do all these ops we want to go on all the ops we want to lead the ops and that's kind of like a natural thing is you want to prove to yourself that like you can do it but you know the mission required hey we need to do less of this and more of the making sure that they can go out on their own without us and i think like balancing you know both my personal and frankly like you know my, my marines that had trained and prepared and wanted to, to be at the front doing the things to be like, Hey, look, like that's, that's just not what we need to be doing as much of right now. And kind of balancing both their expectations and frankly, like our Afghan partners who wanted us with them. And I mean, we wanted to go with them, but at the same time, there's this tension of, we need to make sure that you can actually do it on your own before we're gone. Um, and that like, so that's not just a, you know, tomorrow we're gone. And then like, you've been operating in this way that's completely unsustainable. So like that was, a, I mean, that was a fun deployment. It was a difficult deployment. Um, but I mean, it's probably the one I enjoyed the most just because you are, I was still like with a small team, like getting to work a difficult problem set. Like, but you're like on the ground, like with the people, which is, I think, what was the most fun for me. I think the, um, the second deployment I had, I would say probably was the most professionally satisfying is in it was like the most difficult problems. And I was the operations officer for a special operations task force in, in Iraq for the whole uh, Mosul push in 2016, like pushing ISIS out of Mosul with like the Kurds and the Iraqis. And I think like the level of responsibility and like working with a lot of international special operations groups. I, and I think what we were able to accomplish pro like in retrospect was the most professionally satisfying, but I mean, it was miserable. I mean, I just sat in a windowless room and I feel like looked at like, you know, screens all day long for six months and slept about two to three hours a night. And it, it didn't feel fun the way that the first one did, but I think that we, what we were able to accomplish uh, was, was probably more meaningful to me. Yeah. You know, what you say there is so incredibly important. Just the things that you've articulated. I think those are insights that often are, private sector counterparts, well, I guess who we are now, right? We don't always get an insight into the level of thought, intellect, creativity that's required in these kind of roles. I think oftentimes you think about this really primitive, patriotic, primitive, and, you know, dignified, but kind of, you know, boxer, pusher, you know, intense kind of gorilla out there doing these things. And thank God we have them. But I think we always, as a society, will forget, especially as Americans, sometimes forget that these truly are some of our best and brightest people, period, and, you know, end the sentence, that are out there doing our nation's, you know, work out there with foreign, and what you've mentioned there about interacting with different folks and being able to get not only our teams, but our foreign military and our counterparts to be able to work together is one that, I mean, I believe it's got to have helped you, right, even as you moved into the business world, into the private sector more than you would think. It's, it, I think it's helped me a lot. I mean, it's, and I think, the, I think some of the, it's really, I mean, looking at the second deployment and kind of like integrating a bunch of different organizations that, I mean, we get used to in the Marine Corps, like it's like you, you get granted this authority over like the groups that are like, that are working for you or adjacent to you. And it's very like well-documented. And I mean, I fully believe you don't want to have to tell people, hey, we're doing this because like, you know, you pull the rain card because I said so like that's like losing if that's what you have to do. But you but you have the ability to do that if you have to. What was interesting to me, I feel like about the second deployment is sure, like we had a variety of U.S. special operations teams under our task force that like we had that like kind of standard like authority of like, hey, look, like everyone's got to say, but at some point someone's going to make a decision and then we're just going to all we're going to march. But uh, 
I would say two thirds of the people that we were working with, we had none of that because they were international, both like NATO special operations, other country special operations groups. And you really had to use true influence of like, I can't tell you to do this, but we all have to do this together. We're sharing the same resources. And you had to, I mean, the rapport became even more important in the kind of like informal chains of like, hey, like we're going to go hang out and like either work out together or like have coffee or, you know, like a non-alcoholic beer or whatever. Like we, we, they didn't have athletic brewing back then. The, the near beers were terrible. Uh, or like a rip it for those of you that have oh. had like a rip it roasting on a, an air, uh, an air force pallet on the tarmac. Um, we're going to go have a rip it and kind of talk through this, but there's just a lot of that kind of non-standard influence that you had to use. And I found that in the corporate world, especially in the tech space where you see a lot of these more like flat kind of organizational architectures where like, it isn't really clear who's in charge of what and that you have to use that because you're, if you're like the project manager of a project at like a company, like some of the projects I worked on at Palantir, I actually can't tell anyone on this team or the customer like what to do you have to just get people bought in and get people on board and work together without that kind of formal authority. Um, and it's, I think that's actually really hard. And I think the rest of my military career, I didn't really have to do that, but that last deployment, I think set me up for what, especially working in a more like startup tech space was actually like. Yeah. It's super valuable having this. We used to have this saying actually at a FinTech that I was working with and, and, uh, on the team of, and we say, well, whose throat am I able to choke if this goes wrong? <laughs> and it's such a, it's kind of a crass thing to say, but it's one thing that in the service we were really good at. At the end of the day, you're absolutely right. Influence, being likable, approachable, mindful, uh, having that holistic approach, that is the superpower. You want to use influence to get something done. But at the end of the day, your throat ultimately being the one that needs to be choked, or as my right-hand man in the service used to say, uh, he, my, my first ever platoon sergeant used to say, he goes, sir, ultimately you're going to be the one on the red carpet, so you have to call the shot. And it's one of those things that seems intensely heavy and maybe at a point hierarchical, but if you can balance those two, I would argue that your people and your teammates want to have somebody who ultimately is going to call the shot so that you can kind of keep momentum moving forward and make the next decision. 100%. So – you go to the Marine Corps, you're doing some time in MARSOC, you've got some really great deployments, you've learned through those things. And now, actually, before we transition to Palantir, one of the things you said that I want to get back to before we kind of lose, uh, lose that thought, you mentioned about the Marine Corps being a really great place to learn being a generalist. And I think mm -hmm. in this world, we often think about specialists. You know, is specializing in something is something we talk about a lot, especially in the private sector. Be a specialist, be really great at that one thing, and do it really well. Go in, you know, an inch wide and a mile deep. Why do you think or how do you think being a generalist and learning to be a generalist and oftentimes in the Marine Corps and in the Army and whatever branch of service, I know on the officer side, you'll, you'll get trained to do some things and then you get thrown into a job you've never yeah. learned or even th thought about before and now you have to figure it out. Why do you think maybe being a generalist in some ways is more of a superpower than people give it credit for? Sure. It's, I mean, it's funny you say like that in the army. It's how I, I mean, I think the Marine Corps thinks about themselves. I mean, especially like MARSOC gets certain on like, you know, the jack of all trades. I mean, like the, you know, force reconnaissance is symbol, which kind of, they eventually morphed in the original MARSOC units is called the recon jack or like the jack of all trades. And I think it's so part of the culture and it's something I absolutely hated for the first half of my career. And I was like, I'm a rifle platoon commander. By the time I feel like I'm good enough to not get like, to not lose equipment and get fired or like, then I get moved into something I have no, and now they're like, oh, well now you're a mortar platoon commander. I'm like, well, I don't know anything about that. Um, <laughs> so, and I'm like, you know, I can barely at this point, I mean, I hadn't done math yeah. in years. I'm like, I need a calculator to do basic addition. And you want me like doing, you know, looking at firing tables and computing, <laughs> computing coordinates for like the mortars. So like, I'm like, I, I don't know anything about that. By the time, by the time I'm confident that rounds aren't going to land on main side when we go to the field, then you throw me to the air wing to be an instructor in aviation school. And it's just like, you would just bounce around. I was like, I, I hated it. But I think I maybe just gave in at like the middle of my career. I was like, this is just like what I am. And like, I, I'm a generalist, but I, it honestly was at the, when I was teaching at the aviation schoolhouse, that was that schoolhouse focused on integration between like the Marine Corps aviation wing between like fire support. So like artillery mortars, 
like everything and then like the infantry and like when you look at what actually goes into not deconflicting those things but integrating them so that they're actually working together that is frankly quite a technical and interesting skill set and so i think like i was like i can appreciate the value of this because we can solve more difficult problems by doing the integration instead of just being like, we're all in the same place. We're just going to get out of each other's way, which is, I think, you know, when, when you don't really understand what everyone's doing, what ends up happening is you just try and like play in your own playpen and stay away from everyone else. And where I guess where I'm going with that is the reason I think that it's valuable is most of the really difficult problems. I feel like in this, you know, in the corporate sector, in the military, they require a multidisciplinary approach. I mean, there's almost nothing that's like a really hard and complicated problem that you can solve with a single specialized discipline. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that you don't need specialists. You do. So you need people. You need people that are subject matter experts. You also need people that are good and understand enough about all the different functions are going to be required to solve a problem. So they know how to piece them all together in a way that you can actually solve the problem. But, I, and I think that's what I found has helped me on the corporate side is like begrudgingly becoming a generalist in the Marine Corps and just being comfortable with, I have no idea what these 10 different specialists do. Like I, I, I so now I have to ask them and learn enough about it that I can piece them together and, and use them in the best way to solve a problem that requires all of their skill sets. I mean, it's, you, that is, that's probably a great articulate, uh, probably one of the coolest ones I've heard, man, where you, and you may not have said it on purpose or whatever, but it came out natural with being able to be a generalist, but also be able to quickly understand and specialize in the thing that you're being asked to do, or be able to quickly understand how the specialists who are in that domain operate. I think where it gets a bad rep in private sector or in anywhere really is somebody who doesn't provide any depth. But I would, you know, say that your experience probably similar to mine is when you get put in, in charge, you're a infantry guy gets put in charge of an aviation wing schoolhouse. Uh, nobody's going to cut you any slack that you don't know what an aileron is or how lift works or any of that stuff after a few weeks. Like you better understand what those things are, but you got to be able to learn them quickly. So you go from, you go from being uh, a really great career in the Marine Corps and then transitioning into the business world, specifically into Palantir. The initial question that I know goes through a lot of folks' minds is, how does a guy go from um, probably having the most fun in his life, jumping out of airplanes, doing different things, you know, getting dirty and whatnot, and decide to kind of go into some extreme tech and go into that world? What got you to transition into there? Yeah, so I think... Um... I think I had gotten to the point where the stuff that I truly enjoyed in the Marine Corps was uh, was no longer going to happen. So, I mean, I was I I picked up major. I, I I like to tell myself I avoided the lobotomy that comes with becoming a major, but I may I may not have. But I mean, I I think like the last deployment I had as a major was while satisfying. I was like I do not want to sit in a windowless room and look at ISR feeds for like the next <laughs> like ten yeah. years of my life. And I mean, yeah. and I think. And, you know, there, there's an element, I mean, I, I, this is something I struggle with. There's an element of like, well, is that like selfish? Cause like, you're not having as much fun. Like, does that mean that like, it's time to transition? But I think I was just, I was like, I need to do something new. I, I think the energy it required, I think for me to stay and do what it looked like I would continue to do for the rest of my career was high enough that I wanted to try something else. And I, I think I was lucky and I got to do everything I really wanted to do. I felt like I'd had a chance to serve and make a difference. And I think I was just ready to try something, to try something different. And I'm very, very mission oriented. Like it, like, and I think I had, and I, I, it was way harder for me to figure out like what was the right mission when I got out. But I mean, all you, I, all I would read about and think about was like, well, it sounds like there's all these problems in the world and like technology is going to solve all of them. And I mean, when I thought about tech, I didn't think about like different like subsectors of it. It's just like tech is like the answer. So like, I'm going to, I'm going to go do tech. Um, <laughs> And luckily, I actually worked with um, a, a couple people from uh, Pal the team that hired me at Palantir on my last deployment. And so, like, I had a chance to kind of see what they were doing. It was interesting. I applied to a couple different jobs when I got out, but that was the one I think I was the most excited about. And it was in tech, whatever that meant. And I was, and I was like, I'm going to just jump and hope that this is, like, the right thing and that, that I'll align with it. And that's not exactly <laughs> what happened. Uh, hence the 
kind of the, the constantly changing and of jobs over the next couple of years. So I finally figured out what I wanted. Yeah, no, let's talk about that for a second. I think it's something that, um, that transition is, is tough, right? And there's this, there's almost this dark period that every single one of us go through, whether we want to admit it or not. You mentioned mission. Can you dive into that a little further? Like when you think about mission, what's the thing that you were hoping to find when you first stepped out of here? First stepped out of the out of the military, out of the Marine Corps, yeah, out of the uniform. Yeah. What was the thing you were hoping was on the other side there that, that I, could keep you going? I um, I mean, I to me, mission is about serving others, uh, and I think it's about, and so I think I wanted to find a way to serve. That's like most important to me, but like in a different way than than the military. I think the other piece that that's harder is is the component of, and I didn't really know this. I mean, I wasn't really able to articulate this until like years later. But I think it's important to me to be able to serve in a way that I'm uniquely capable of and that I also enjoy. And I I didn't like that was not part of my mental process. It was like okay, what serving like what are the types of companies that are serving what seems like the hardest problems are being solved by technology companies. So like, I just want to be part of that. And I mean, I, I didn't do a whole lot of like in-depth thinking for like, well, like what type of technology and like which problems it was kind of just like, like get in, get the first opportunity in like one of those companies that you can, and then just like figure it out from there. But I think if I reflect back on it, what I, what I was actually looking for was service in a way that I'm uniquely capable of doing something that I also enjoy. And I think those are kind of different components. And for me, it's been really important to satisfy all three because when I haven't done that, like I've ended up not being where I want to be. Yeah. It's gotta be that intersection. What's uh, the Japanese call it. I learned this actually from a, from a guy we've had on a couple episodes ago, a guy named Judson. He, uh, Ikigai, right? It's kind of where the Japanese believe that there's this cross-section of the different things. Not only what you provide great to the world and how you serve, but what brings you joy and happiness. When you got out and you stepped into Palantir and you stepped into head of ops there at Origin, what was still the things going through your mind, even with these great teams and these great people that still didn't scratch the itch? What was the thing that just kind of kept you away from saying, this is perfect? I think the hardest one um, was actually the the desire for like some type of physicality to the role, and like not just like physicality. Like in a literal sense. Yeah, like in a little like I as, as in like I I enjoy. I mean, one of the things I loved about the military is you had the like intellectual puzzle of like okay like I have this like foreign military that like I have to figure out how to train they don't have the same equipment set that we do they're not going to have the same capabilities when we leave how do we solve that or like how do I get all these different special operations groups that like don't necessarily get along with each other to both get along and then work with the Kurds and the Iraqis and so like that was like a intellectually interesting problem and but you know then you also had the the physical component of the job, like going out on ops, like jumping out of planes, going to dive school and like all that, like that, I enjoyed the mix of that. And I think the hardest thing for me from an enjoyment perspective, getting out was trying to fill that void because I could go mountain guide, which I did. And I mean, it was fun, but it kind of just like it, it felt for me personally, it kind of felt like it didn't matter as much as I wanted it to. And it's not that I don't think that that's a really important job. It just didn't, it didn't fulfill the mission that I felt like I wanted to, to fulfill. But when I worked at companies working on climate change, which is what like origin materials was oriented, which, which does, which is important to me, there just wasn't like a, the physical component. I felt like I was missing that. And like, for me, it was hard. That was, I think, like a lot of impetus, like something is off and I've got to figure this out because I'm not enjoying it because it doesn't have this component. I think the other piece um, that I've kind of come f- full circle around has was this feeling of, even as a generalist in MARSOC, right? I mean, I was in the infantry and then I was, I was on the operator side of MARSOC. Um, and you were like the main thing, I guess, is kind of like how I would describe it. I was the non-technical guy at Palantir in a company full of software engineers. And then I was like the non-chemical engineer at a chemical company. And 
while I, while I, and it's this tension of like, I, part of me always does want to be a specialist, despite the fact that like, I do truly believe that being a generalist is the thing that I'm good at and, and is incredibly valuable. But it was just this feeling of like, I'm always going to, this isn't something that I'm uniquely capable of doing. I don't know that that was right, but I felt that like at Palantir and I felt that at Origin. I was like, even as a generalist, like there are other ones that could do this. This doesn't feel unique to me. And I'm missing the physical component. And I think it was like those two things that, that ultimately was like why they didn't really scratch the itch. So then what, what was the, so you got those things brewing. What was the reason that eventually got you to make this decision? You know, like, what would be a great idea? Let me go leave these really great paying jobs on probably a killer trajectory for my quote unquote professional career. Let me go work double the hours by starting this new venture and making yeah. probably a fraction of the money. Uh, for the foreseeable future, what makes a guy go through that crucible? I, I mean, I, it got to the, it got to the point where I was just so unhappy. And so I, I, I mean, that I, I would, I mean, it was honestly one like tw fall of 2020 was probably like the biggest low I've had in my entire life. And I was just like, I, I got out of the military. Maybe I shouldn't have, um, I've had two amazing opportunities that like, I just, I didn't, I didn't like, like, so like, what's wrong with me? I just feel completely lost. I was like, I have no idea whether I'm going to find this thing that I'm looking for. I mean, I even I don't tell a lot of people this. I even went back to school, like to undergrad. Cause I was like, well, I guess like I need to figure out how to become an astronaut. Cause like, that sounds like, that sounds like fun. <laughs> so I'm going to do that. And I wish I had actually studied in undergrad the first time around. Cause like, then I could have maybe like had a degree that I could use towards that. But I was a horrible student and I spent all my time doing jujitsu and like not going to class. So I was like, I knew that would bite me at some point. So anyway, long story short, I went back and tried undergrad again for six weeks. Cause I told myself I was going to become an electrical engineer and then get like a master's degree and somehow like, you know, eke through the needle of like astronaut selection before like 45. And I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> and then we, you know, week, week three, we're building one of those like eighth grade science projects. And it was in the middle of COVID. Um, but like, where you like the marble like goes down the, you know, like the Lego set and like hits the other thing. I was like, I was like, I'm, I do not have the uh, life patience to like do things like this. So I just, this is just not going to work. Yeah, I was so just in Mosul. Yeah. I, was, I mean, it was, it was, it's just like, I, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was bad, but it ended quickly. And then I was like, I just have no idea what I'm going to do. So I, luckily I had a friend recommend a book to me called like designing your life. Uh, it was actually written by a bunch of Stanford professors, but it's about, using design theory to figure out like what you want. And it really comes, comes down to journaling and like figuring out like, what are my values and like, what are things that I enjoy doing? And then like pairing different combinations of those things to see, to, to find clusters, to be like, is this a job? Like, did these pairings like equal a job? And that's honestly the exercise I went through that ended up with, with founding palace. And I think, you know, the, the highlights of that were like, I enjoy, I enjoy being involved in things that like feel physically challenging. Mm -hmm. And I really do enjoy teaching and helping other people do things that like are physically intimidating for them. And it actually, I think for so long, I indexed on, it has to be mountain guiding or like, it has to be mixed martial arts because like, those are the things I liked doing. But when I really sat back and thought about it and, and kind of like abstracted, like, what does it have to actually satisfy? That didn't really matter as much to me. I mean, it could be triathlon, it could be running, it could be hiking, it could be, I mean, it could be anything, but as long as it like was like physically intimidating for someone and I could be part of teaching and helping them like work through that, like that kind of filled like that itch for me. And then I think, you know, the other piece of it was on a like, on a larger mission is looking at, okay, like healthcare. I mean, I cared about healthcare. I like I played with going to med school. That was part of the whole, like the astronaut debacle. Um, and I, I look at like physical activity and frankly, sports are probably the single most important tool like we have for our longevity. And so like, if you can use, if you can think of, if I can get people to like make this a part of their life, that's actually the front line of like their healthcare anyway, is like, are you active or is your nutrition dialed? Like, are you doing things that are good for you in addition to your, to your job? And 
And if we can create something that helps people do that and in a society where it's frankly, it's hard to justify spending a lot of time on it when Pete, you're working, especially the startup world where you're working 70, 80, some people like 120 hour weeks. How do I justify spending time like training for a triathlon or like going on this hike or like learning to rock climb? If I can be part of like helping make that part of someone's lives in a way that actually makes sense, well, then that's meaningful to me. And I think that was kind of a lot of like what Palace became was kind of going through that exercise and figuring those kind of components out and then trying to build a company around them. What does Palace mean, Andrew? So Palace is a, this like uh, goes back to high school. I took more Latin and Greek than like any human being probably should in the modern world. But I, um, Palace is a, is an epithet for the Greek goddess Athena, who is the patron goddess of heroes and so a lot of what palace is about is kind of like you take like that hero's journey of like you've got to decide to leave the village and go do something hard but if you do like help will find you and like that's kind of like and then you go through that process like you go do something hard you transform and then you come back and you teach other people like you you teach other people things that you learn on that journey and I look at like what we're trying to be is that guide that like I can't make you decide you want to do this thing but if you do the support you need to do it will be there and like, that'll be us. And that's, that's kind of like, it's, it's a, a kind of like a riff on like the hero's journey. I dig it, man. No, that's great. I, it's such a catchy name too. I think just good brand and stuff is always hard for me to not look at and go, wow, that's really great. So when you, when you decided to do palace, what was, I think to add a lot of value to folks tuning into what was literally the first step you did? Was it, take a couple clients on while you're working this full-time gig? Was it complete, make a cut and do something different and buy an entire facility? Like how did, I'm curious, what was your first step? And when you'd yeah. done it the same way, looking back again, if you could restart. So I, for better or for worse, have been very much a like, um, burn the ships and March type of a person. So like, yeah, I, um, dream, right? I mean, I like, I, I mean, part of it, like I, I had already quit origin to, to go to school to, do all the things I didn't do in undergrad to become an astronaut. And then like, I was like, I hate this. And then I burned that bridge. So I mean, I like, I had like, I had nothing, like no work, like nothing, which I mean, I honestly don't think that I could have spent the time to figure out what I actually wanted if I'd been working. Like personally, I'm not saying that you can't, I mean, for a lot, a lot of people figure it out that way. I just, yeah. for better or for worse, I'm a bit of an all or nothing person. And so I was just like, I'm like, I'm not getting another job, I'm not doing anything. Like I'm going to figure this out. And I'm going to spend all my time like figuring out what I want and then working on the company. And I mean, I was fortunate, like, you know, my wife, who's actually part of palace with me, um, was, was working, which gave me a little bit of buffer to, to not work, um, for a couple months. And I would say, I mean, I was probably three months of just solid every day trying to figure this out before I was like, this is what I want to do. And then kind of moved forward. And as far as like first steps on the business, I, I um, got introduced to a couple other books by some friends about like, hey, like don't build an entire business plan, like just build kind of like a, a framework, go run some customer interviews, like test kind of whether this is actually something that people want and then kind of like refine off of that. So I mean, for like procedures was like, what did I actually do? Once I knew roughly like the type of company we wanted to run, a lot of it was just crafting a couple different value propositions and then just interviewing people and seeing kind of what resonated, what didn't, kind of what different combinations worked. And then it was really just starting to try it. So, I mean, I would say we did probably a two month, just like just running interviews, running interviews, running interviews. Then some of those interviews became our first couple clients. And then we, I mean, we've, we have changed the product a lot in two and a half, like two, two and a half years, but I would say not radically off mission from like what we talked about. So if I look at like mission vision, like I think we're still on track from originally what we were trying to do, but like the exact way that we offer those services has certainly evolved, but I, we would have never, if we hadn't just started trying and working with people, we'd still be trying to figure out what the right, what the right like service mix would be. A lot of it was just being like, we're going to try it and we're just going to adjust as we go. Was that intuitive to you? I do find that a lot of folks want to have the perfect plan and end up getting yeah. mired by never moving, right? And they forget that the, the plan, actually, the secret sauce is, is that, doing step one. <laughs> I think that that was actually one of the best lessons I learned at Palantir okay. um, was, was to like version zero and iterate was I think what like people always said. But I mean, that was, I think my natural tendency 
in the military isn't that you think a plan is going to go according to plan because it never does. I mean, I can't even count a time where I think a plan went like 50% the way that we planned it. But there, I feel like we didn't iterate on plans as much. Like you would spend all this time like making the master plan and then like you almost everyone's just expected it's going to get thrown out the window, but you had the contingencies and like the decision trees as far as like when that happens, like how do you handle it? I think had I not gone to Palantir and been like, look, just like make your version zero and get feedback as soon as possible. And anything other than that is like waste. I, I would probably not have actually started that way, but like that was a really important lesson I learned there. Um, that, that definitely helped me in getting this started. So give me just talking about the business specifically now in palace, who's talk to me about, I'm sure you, I know you work with a bunch of folks and we've talked about this in the past, but Give me just kind of one example of how someone might come to y'all and sure. decide that they get into it. Because I also realize that in some ways you guys attract a certain kind of person, right? Not just somebody who wants to do a thing, but maybe their backgrounds of a certain way. So can you kind of walk me through that journey? Sure. I think we have um, the way, I, I mean, I th I'm going to, I'll like segue for a second, but I, I think this is relevant. The way yeah. I think about like, this isn't like the mission on our website, right? Like, but I think under like, what we're really trying to do is help people use sport to help them serve others in their life. And the way that we help people use sport and the way that you use sport depends on kind of like where, like how you're serving and kind of what stage of service you're in. And I, I kind of think of that in two ways is that there's, there's times in our lives where I call it like selfish service, but we're like, I need to work on myself. I, I need to like go out, do something really hard, focus on myself so I can, you know, reevaluate, reevaluate my values, like find grit, like detach and just think while doing something really, really difficult. I think like there's a phase where like that makes sense. And you know, I think if you look at the original like way we did our marketing and website, like that's the type of person that we were originally speaking to the most. But I also think there's a different phase where like, I say this, like if you're like an entrepreneur, like I have, and I have a lot of these uh, as athletes who they just start, they just raised a series A and he's working, I mean, they're working 120 hour weeks and it's not because they're doing something wrong. And like, and, and it's, and it's, and I mean, they don't need to be told, Hey, like you also need to go do an Ironman on top of that. Or like, you need to go summit like 50 14ers. I'm like, you're already not sleeping. You're probably not eating. What you really need is just some type of like plan that you can, that you enjoy that will keep you healthy so that you can serve so that when it comes time for you to actually go back and work on yourself and detach and go do something hard, like you can do that. But like right now isn't the time for me to tell you to do 15 hours a week for your, for an Ironman in like three months. So we have both of those kind of groups. And I, I guess one of our larger customer segments has actually been, I would say people in the technology or startup space that either have worked really hard for two years and their health is just like plummeted because they have done nothing. They haven't found a way to do anything to kind of like help just maintain a semblance of like physical health amidst starting a company. Yeah. And they're like, I need to do something about this, but I don't have a lot of time. So I just need something that can like work with my crazy limited schedule. We get a lot of people there. We also get a lot of people that are kind of high performing individuals but, but they're at a stage where like, look, like I need to like detach and go do something crazy for a couple months so that I can like fill the well back up and come up and like serve because I'm just like burnt out that we have a lot of people that kind of, I think fit into those two categories. And I would say like the other side is we, we do have professional to like elite amateur athletes and that, that's, that's a different demographic, but we do work with both, but they're, but they're very different as far as like what they're looking for. Yeah. So you, y'all are really along for the ride in their journey at any stage and however evolution they want to go. And so yep. it sounds like I could be CEO or COO of a 200 person company. We just, you know, uh, started growing some things. I've literally not seen a running track or a mountainside in years. And I come find y'all and say, Hey, look, I need to just start back yep. on this thing. And then maybe three years from now, I'm still with y'all. Hey, you think I could figure out how to do Killy or how to go do some of these things? And you guys will be there the whole whole time exactly. with them through this entire process. Exactly. That's I mean, I like to look at it as pick 
our, our original slogan, uh, luckily, like Megan, my, my wife talked me out of this, was like helping people make bad decisions since 2021. That's like our like website header. But um, I mean, a lot of what I'm, I was like, we're trying to tell people, like, pick the thing that you've always wanted to do that you just like don't even know where to start and like just like say that you're going to do it and then we'll yeah. figure it out. And what people need ends up being very different. is like the obvious thing is to be like, oh, I need to be in good physical shape. I have, uh, you know, there's a, there's a Stanford professor I work with who is trying to set a bunch of um, fastest known times on like these like massive through hikes. She's in great shape. Like she doesn't need conditioning. What she needs is like land navigation instruction and like trip logistics and like gear recommendations and helping her break down. Okay. I have this, you know, 200, 300 mile fastest known time I'm trying to set on this through hike. How do I break this up into legs? Like what makes sense? And I mean, I can spend time with her on that. It's not that she doesn't need any training, but she's fine. I mean, she runs ultras, like she's fine. But you know, you have other people that have never swam, have never, you know, done a serious running program, have never done a serious biking program. They want to do an Ironman or a half Ironman. Then the conditioning is a lot more important for them. But a lot of what we're trying to do is figure out what do you need to get to this crazy thing that you wanted to do? And then let you piece your team together in a way that helps you get there. Like if you don't, if you need nutrition and training and sports performance coaching, we want to give you the way to like pull those different pieces into your support team in the right ratios for what you need at the time to go after that. And different people just need different stuff. And we, we, a lot of what we're trying to do is be flexible to piece the support team together for what you actually need. Okay, so you kind of answered something I was about to ask, so I ask it anyways. It, it kind of goes back to that generalist and specialist mentality that you're providing. So it sounds like, can someone literally come to y'all with anything? I mean, mm -hmm. it can be everything from triathlons to, you know, I want to go underwater scuba, yep. you know, we, uh, for 17 miles, you know, whatever underneath the, you know, near the barrier, whatever it might uh, be. And you guys would say, yes, we, because we you're coach providing literally everything, which okay. I mean, there are certainly days where, where, um, <laughs> I, there are days when I regret that just because the, like the brain hopping from sports is sometimes hard, but we, I mean, everything. And I mean, one of the, um, I think that, I mean, we, we talk about this on the website. I think like the being the generals thing is in some ways what makes us more effective coaches and then people that specialize. And I mean, I'll give you an example one of the most the the most successful prehab exercises we've started using with runners comes from football okay. and no one uses it in the running world because they don't talk to football coaches but there's and there's a there's a prehab exercise for foot strength that football players use or like people that are doing like really fast but short sprinting that I've had more success preventing plantar fasciitis and like Achilles tendonitis using this thing from football with runners than I have with any of the traditional stuff that you'd see like runners doing. And I, it's just, there are so, there's so much good stuff in the different sports that you can find and pull into other ones that like, I think that's given us an advantage in what we're able to offer. But the other piece of it kind of going back to like, if you take the professional elite athletes out, this doesn't apply to them, but you take, you know, people, frankly, like, you know, me, probably you and like the, the people that are starting, you know, running their own companies and they just, they're like, I need to do something that I'm excited about that re-energizes me. I feel like what a lot of us are looking for is like fun, exciting experiences that we can share with our friends. And, and we kind of want to dabble. Like not everyone wants to like lock into a 15 hour a week triathlon plan. Like at some point, like it loses its novelty unless you want to really be competitive. You're like, I don't want to spend eight hours on the bike anymore. I want to go try rock climbing. Like, I want to go try skiing. And one of the yeah. things that we're able to do is let people dabble. It's like, you're going to do your Ironman and then you can stay with us. And now you're going to go climb Rainier. And then like when you're done climbing Rainier, maybe you want to do technical rock climbing. Maybe you want to do skiing. Maybe you want to go do jujitsu. And like, you need to like actually start building up more like power and strength for that. Like we can do that. And, and I think it's our ability to let people dabble for like a large part of our athletes those cool, cool novel experiences are what they're looking for. And it's what keeps them consistent. And that's, I think, been an important thing that we can give them is the ability to dabble and kind of try everything. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, on its initial, you wonder how do y'all juggle all those things? But if anything, I see that actually now I see that being y'all superpower, which is incredible. When you think about how, um, is it accountability? 
really that's keeping also folks in a lot of ways tied to y'all because it is so easy for us just to say, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty disciplined, but, and I have this program, but in some ways it's talking to Palace, talking to Andrew every single week. And I have to admit, I didn't do something. Is that a big part of the value too? I think for some people, it's interesting people so much of like the sports coaching is really just like psychology. I mean, like at the end of the day, like the programming, like there's some science, there's a different, pro- there are different programs that works, but there's, there's probably like five to 10 different programs that would all like scientifically work for someone, but it, what the real art is in figuring out like, who are you as a person, like understanding your personality and then finding the right program for your personality. And so for some people, accountability is really important, but I think what we really work hard to do is to look at someone's life and what they have going on, help them find something that they're genuinely excited about and like what that is and what that can be changes to, depending on the, like, again, like, you know, the startup founder, like working 120 hours a week can be excited about climbing Denali all day long, but he doesn't have time. So yeah. like he, but he does have time to add 50 pounds on his back squat and he, that excites him. And so it's like finding the thing that they're excited about at the, at the stage of life that they're in and then looking at their schedule and everything they have going on in life and finding the right program psychologically for that person. As in there's, there's probably three different ways I could add 50 pounds to someone's back squat. One would be, you know, more aggressive and like leaps in weight than maybe another is like very like small incremental, like, increases every week. Some people like checking the box and doing the same thing over and over again, because it feels like they have control and it's like satisfying to just feel like I know exactly what I'm going to do when I go into the gym. There are other people that like, if there isn't constant variation, like they get bored and they're not going to do it. So like a lot of what we're doing is being like, who are you and which of those types of people are you and impairing that program to them so that they can be successful long-term, like without us. I mean, a lot of what we're trying to do is teach you like how to do this on your own so that you don't need us forever. What's some of the most extreme things you've helped folks do, or at least on their way to doing what, give me some, give me yeah. some examples. So we've got, I mean, on the, on the pro side, I've got a triathlete um, trying to qualify for the 2024 Olympics next summer in Paris. I've got a founder CEO um, who's wants to climb the nose on El Cap. So like ne- not this summer, but next summer. And then probably like the coolest one I'm the most pumped about is a founder CEO of like a high growth startup who has decided that the only way he's going to stay accountable and like do things that are going to keep him healthy so he can lead his company is to have some just like insane goals. He's like, I'm going to swim the English channel on my 60th birthday. Um, which I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like I don't like, I mean, I, I coach swimming. I, I hate swimming mostly because the Marine Corps, I mean, the Marine Corps can take the fun out of anything. The Marine Corps can take the fun <laughs> out of surfing and skiing, but they can definitely take the fun out of swimming. It's like, I don't even really like love swimming, but I'm coaching him on swimming. Um, but he, yeah, he wants to swim the English channel when he's uh, 60, which I think is like three years out. So he's got, he's got time, but like that, that's what I'm really excited to be a part of. Cause there's just all this like crazy logistics that goes into that. Um, yeah. So are y'all helping them also navigate like how that actually can get yeah. done. It's not like, Hey, go walk to the edge of the water and start swimming. I mean, there's yeah, a whole no, I mean, those are, and then those are the types of projects. I mean, like in the El Cap one too, are the ones that I find the most interesting. I mean, I, because the logistics stuff is the stuff that keeps most people from actually doing it. I, I mean, there's a lot of people that won't do the training, like sure, but there are a lot of people that will do the training but they won't do the back planning from like, from here's where I need to get logistically to like, here's where I need to start. What are all the other things that go into that? I mean, I'll give you an example. It's like I had a climber, still have a climber that wants to do, there's, there's a bunch of these circuits in Yosemite where like you do like these five routes in a day and like you get yeah. to, you get to say that you did that. And there's a couple of famous ones, but the, the climbing for a lot of them is actually quite easy as in like, you don't have to be that great of a climber. I mean, you have to be, comfortable putting protection in, you have to be comfortable leading, but they're not, you know, it's not like what Alex Honnold's doing on like El Cap, like it's relatively chill. But what's hard is there's still 30 pitches of climbing that they have to get in per day, which if you understand like how long is it going to take you to lead each pitch, how long is it going to take you to transition? Do you know the route from this one to the next one? How long is that going to take? And when you start adding the like, if it takes me 30 minutes a pitch and like five to 10 minutes to transition and then like 
45 minutes to walk from point A to point B, you start looking at this, is this a 13 hour day? Is it a 15 hour day? Is it an 18 hour day? What time of year are you doing it? How late, how long is it light during that type of time of year? Did you know that? Are you cool climbing in the dark or not? That's like all the type of stuff that like a lot of people won't think through that will actually keep them from being successful. Yeah. So y'all help. I mean, it, it's a, it is amazing, man, that y'all are helping them with that journey as well. Cause it would be easy enough just to say, Hey, let's just focus on the physical parts of it. But that truly is a holistic approach that the folks can actually go accomplish that mission. I'm curious on the gentleman swimming the channel. What is the thing that one, what is the thing that one wouldn't think about that you have to work on? I mean, obviously like endurance and being yeah. able to stay in the game and breathing, but is there anything unique about that project? There's, there's a, a lot. I mean, one is just getting used to like swimming in the cold. I mean, granted, he's going to, you know, you have like, it's not like you're going to, he's going to have a wetsuit, but it's like getting used to long, cold swims. I think, frankly, the hardest thing, the hardest thing, and then one of the more interesting things that I didn't really know until we started going through this is the hardest thing is probably actually figuring out how to fuel and finding like types of food that you can take in for that amount of time. Oh, like, yeah, man. Sick. Like, what the heck are you doing? You carrying a dry bag or something? You yeah, just, I mean, like, you usually can just bar? Like, tow, like tow a bag with like snacks, but it's like, it's like you have to practice eating uh, like on open water swims and practice. I mean, we have to, you have to do this with triathlon too. So that's not, not necessarily unique to, you know, the, the channel swim, but like maybe even more important. And frankly, triathletes aren't eating in the water. They eat on the bike or they eat on the run. So it's like right. figuring out what can I eat and hydrate on the swim. The other one that I would not have thought about is basically depending on like the tides and how they're moving is despite how you feel getting a cue that the tide is coming and no matter what you have to push hard for the next 15, 20 minutes. So you don't get like further set off course and being able to like switch that on. Um, is, is another thing I think unique to the channel that I actually hadn't really thought about as like a, as part of that. How long is that sucker? I, I need to actually go back and look at like what the, um, what someone of like comparable, like fitness level to this, uh, to this, uh, to this guy is, I mean, yeah. I actually, off the top of my head, I can't even remember what like the goal time is going to be. Cause part of it's like, we're three years out. I'm just like, I just need to get you to where like you, you're logging like thousands and thousands and thousands of open water yards a week. And I mean, yeah. and I guess where I'm going with this is some of these goals are goals that we'll take on with people that like, I mean, obviously like I haven't done that I'm, and I'm not going to do that. I have no interest in swimming the English channel, but like, we'll kind of figure it out with them along the way. But I think we, we do have a network of contacts that kind of helps so like where we can find people that either, if they haven't done this, they know someone that has to yeah. kind of help us help them. And a lot of this is like our network of like helping piece together all the different like pieces of information this guy's going to need in order to be successful. But I mean, there's, I'm learning along the way with him on this one. Like this one is like not one I would have advertised that we take people on to swimming. It's kind of happening. Well, and luckily like, you yeah, were thrown like, in the it. middle of combat zones and we're like, Hey, go figure this out. And you're like, yep, yeah, I can do. And you had like the, the weight of the nation on your back. I mean, that's not a small feat, man. That's like, what? I mean, it's over a hundred miles swimming. It? Yeah, it's, 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 it's yeah, it is. It's, it's pretty legit. Oh my goodness, man. I mean, it's amazing. Well, look, Andrew, it's been amazing talking to you, man. And I know we could probably talk more and more about those things. We end every show the same way. We ask every single one of our guests, uh, the same question about their North star here on our team, what guides our decisions, how we treat people, how we decide to go left or right, how we decide to take a pause or go push harder. Uh, we have this saying and this slogan in this North star, that's curiosity above judgment, courage above all. It just kind of helps us judge those things. I found it was successful, for, especially with the work that you're doing. There's got to be something that makes Andrew tick inside and kind of keeps your keeps you straight on path when you can. Uh, what is that for you? Yeah, I I, I kind of actually touched on it earlier, but I mean for me, but now I'm like conscious of this, and this is the thing that I ask myself like every every week is. If I'm not serving, then like I'm like wasting my life. So like service is the most important. But to me, I'm gonna serve people the best if I'm doing if I've picked a mission that I'm uniquely capable of and I enjoy. Because if I'm uniquely capable of it and I don't enjoy it, I'm gonna do a terrible job because I'm gonna get burnt out and I'm not gonna want to do it. And so for me, it, I'm like always in this cycle of like, am I serving? Am I, I serving in a way that like I was made to do? 
and am I enjoying it? And I kind of like cycle through that. And if I'm, if I find that like, I'm not, then it's like, okay, like, why am I not enjoying it? Like, do I need to change something about it so that, so that I am, is this like life telling me that like, it's time to do some other thing. And in that kind of cycle, like, I mean, I probably go through that cycle more than I would like, but for, I feel like that is the thing that guides what I do is, is kind of asking myself those three questions. Yeah. Dig it, man. If folks are going to try to find you and get, get served by, you know, this great team and you there, how do they do that? Just check you guys out on the website there yep. and inquire about some crazy goal they have. Yeah. So we've got, um, we've got our website, uh, www.palace.io is, I mean, that's like a lot of people find us through there, um, or through our Instagram, uh, which is just at palace.io. Um, yeah. And that's that actually the first thing on the website is actually me with a rental camera that I think was like a $10,000 camera that I was absolutely horrified I was going to drop on a rock climb <laughs> filming someone climbing. Uh, so you don't see the terror of like, I am so, this is going to be so bad if I drop this thing, but um, of someone climbing in Red Rocks. But yeah, like the website or the, or um, Instagram is probably the easiest way to reach out. I dig it, brother. Man, thanks for all you do, man. Keep it's, It was a pleasure talking with you, and especially with sharing your North Star and just how y'all think about those things. It's definitely uh, a mission worth pursuing, especially as you're really helping other people accomplish theirs. So thanks for all you do, Andrew, man. Appreciate the time. No, thanks for having me on, Jess. I appreciate it. Well, thank you all for listening. This is the Professionally Offensive Podcast. You can catch us on all platforms. JC out.